I'm curious what each of your least favorite sounds is. I have one. And this is a voiceover <laughs> specific one. <laughs> Go for it. I hate mouth noise <laughs> a lot. Are you, are you talking like when, like when somebody's lot. talking and there's like the like oh the like goodness. the saliva oh and the I can't, <laughs> I can't like yeah. <laughs> uh, least favorite sounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I suppose uh, uh, whatever's out of tune, you know. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) that's fair nice that's pretty good i work a lot in children's animation Mm. where there's a lot of body noise humor and (laughs) yes i can't tell you the number of times that my team has had to debate over like the sound of a fart And that's fine. That's that's funny. But mm-hmm. I cannot handle when we have to debate over someone burping. Mm-hmm. I, I just I have to check out. And I and I'll, <laughs> um, I'll say to the to the voice actors, you don't maybe maybe they'll tell you to do this. You don't need to burp in the booth. You don't have to burp when it's in the script. <laughs> Leave that to the sound effects people. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good piece of feedback. There it is. Thank you all for being here. We have a bunch of folks in our panel and I want to go around the room and give the people a little rundown for those in our audience who don't know who you are. Just tell us who you are and what you do as it relates to sound work. Absolutely. So super stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. Michelle Benton. I am a communications and marketing professional that focuses mostly on written communication, but also some other forms of media. But as regards sound, I'm also a voice actor. So as a voice actor, I do primarily narration, that uh, documentary narration, e-learning, corporate narration, medical narration. Uh, it runs the gamut. Yeah, nice. it runs the gamut. So yeah, that's where I come in with them. Nice. Awesome. There's always a need to narrate something. And I, I remember being a like a temp audio person. And I, I have a lot of respect for voiceover artists because I am terrible at it. <laughs> But I doubt that. But yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. But yeah, let's uh, let's kick it over to Seth. Hi, thanks, Will and Catherine, for having all of us on here to talk. And yeah, I am a composer. I've been thirty years in music, doing lots of different things, teaching, directing, you know, choirs here and there. But yeah, currently working on some musicals out here in the LA area and. Some on the East Coast as well have been able to do some audio for some animation projects, some short films as well. So uh, excited to talk through some things with y'all today. That's awesome. Yeah, I think we're gonna have to talk about these musicals later because Ooh, I'm. Yeah, we might also have to pitch you a musical idea and see what you think because we've had some ideas That's true. in the back end. <laughs> we <laughs> do we, have some we have a couple musical yeah. ideas. So That's stay true. tuned for that. Yes, you heard it We're gonna make it happen. It'll be great. But yes, go ahead, Stephen. Thank you, Will and Catherine, for inviting me onto your podcast. 
I'm Stephen Frost. I'm the founder of Stereo Couture. We're an audio studio that specializes in animation. And our work spans from creating original music to post-productions to providing voices for ads, TV, and film. And uh, while we get involved with any sort of project, animation is what really captures our hearts. And my role here is officially creative director, which means I get to have a vision and lets people know I do more than spreadsheets, though I love spreadsheets. Um, yes, a fellow spreadsheet <laughs> brand. Yeah. Yeah. We're in. And if, uh, if you see me in the credits, it's generally as a sound supervisor, which means I get to get my hands dirty in pretty much every aspect of our work. At, at the core of the company, I will say, is an incredible team, and they're experts, and my job is really just giving them what they need to do their jobs well but then stepping back and also being able to see the larger picture and make sure everything's coming together. Awesome. Thank you so much for going through that. So to give everyone a little bit of a rundown, and our audience already knows this, but what we're trying to do is kind of open the curtain a bit into behind the scenes production in animation, but also in other places. And sound is a big space that folks, I think, forget about often and don't really realize how important it is. So I want to get a sense of what you typically do at your job. So to take us through maybe a little bit of a day-to-day -day when you're doing sound work, maybe for animation, maybe not, maybe just in general, but give us a little bit of a day-to-day -day taste of like what you do. How do you do your work? And maybe Michelle, I'll start with you. Sure. As far as voiceover goes, I spend a lot of time in my vocal booth. That's where the sound magic happens. I created a vocal booth in my house, so I record pretty much all of my voiceover projects here. I have worked in studios for some of the national commercial work and stuff they want you to work out of a studio. But in the pandemic, so many voice actors had to find a way to record at home. So most of us have, or many of us, I should say, have vocal booths at home. So I do that. And what's great about having a booth at home, too, is that it provides you a lot of flexibility. I can record any hour of the day or night, depending on when a project comes in or when it needs to be due. So it's kind of awesome to have that. So I get into the booth and in the course of a morning, I'll work on all of the auditions that I want to submit, whether you know they came in from a pay to play website or by some other means. And then once I've done that, then I have the opportunity to spend time practicing techniques, trying new things, working with coaches to hone my craft, just really working to make sure that I'm providing the best possible vocal quality for any of the projects that I'm working on. So that's both from a physical technique perspective, but also from an emotional connection perspective. Voice actors, really, we take scripts and we identify the narratives that's taking place in each one and identify the emotions that are really happening in that story. And we create moments auditorily, audibly, to then make a connection with the end listener. So we're basically bringing connection and emotion to life through what we do. Some people might say, like, why is that important? You know, in the face of AI, like, why is it mm. so important to have a voice actor voice versus a vocal print or what have you? The reason why is because people can tell when they're being sold. 
something. Mm. And generally speaking, they don't like the idea of being sold something. Otherwise, we would still have all of those, you know, old timey voice actors who you could just <laughs> real like it was the hard sell. You know what I mean? Like, and it was for everything. The news, you know, selling products, everything was all that hard sell sound. But people do not like the way that that sounds. And so really honing in on creating the emotional connection with that person who's listening to your voice and what you're conveying to them is really the value that voice actors bring. And I oftentimes talk about voice actors in terms of radio, because with TV and commercial, like at least then you have some visual cues for like what is happening and the emotional connection that you should or want to have to a particular thing. But if you're in your car by yourself on the highway, you have no frame of reference for what's going on, save that emotional connection that the voice actor doing that work is making with you. And so if you can really connect strongly with the person who's listening to you, not only are you creating a connection and a moment for them, but you can potentially spur them towards some type of action. Yeah. Awesome. That makes a lot of sense. There's there's a lot there that that you've touched on that I think kind of going behind the curtains a little bit. A lot of times I don't I don't think when we work with clients that they understand that even voice actors have coaches and are learning specific techniques and they have their own technical language that they're speaking as well. Like we talk about it sometimes from the visual aspect of things where we have certain terminology for how to describe designs and different types of character actions and things like that. But even on the voice actor side, there's like specific terminology that comes into play that I think is really interesting. So I appreciate you sharing that because I think that's helpful for how much work goes into creating a voice because I'm an animator. So the like I'm just helping to embellish what's already there. The like richness of a voice is already there. And if I can bring that out through the character and make it sound believable, then it's a beautiful compliment. But that voice has to be there in order for it to be believable. So, yeah, that's awesome. Which makes me think about Seth's role, I think, in composing music. I've never written music. I don't, I don't, I don't get it, honestly. It's a whole other <laughs> language, clearly. But tell us a little bit, Seth, about what your work, h- how do you do your work when someone comes to you and says, like, I want like an original thing that is entirely different. How do you approach that? Yeah. Well, first of all, that process of learning how to work as a creative being has evolved over the years. And I think I've gotten closer and closer to, to freedom in being able to work up something creatively. And so it sort of just starts with play. I'll start super simple. You know, I don't need the elaborate setup that'll come later in the process, like the whole, you know, workstation and bringing in recording equipment and stuff other than I just on my phone at a, at a acoustic piano. And it's really helpful to get in broad strokes almost and in untechnical language what the client, the producer, the what have you is going for to be able to say a move and then to be able to sit at a piano and play with me. I like to be as rough as possible, have lots of rough edges, to be as uncritical as possible at the very beginning so that I can, you know, because it's so easy, I think, to be overly critical Mm -hmm. and sort of miss something that might be you know, it might have a negative goodness <laughs> in it, something that you can, you know, turn into something pretty nice later on. Mm. At least that's that's from my perspective. Usually I'm 
super critical. So in that evolving process, playing a lot at the beginning and being super rough and embracing that has helped my creative process a lot. But I think the best, most fruitful relationships that I've had with clients before have come when there hasn't been an attempt to explain to me in musical terms what they want, but rather in their own own language, whatever viewpoint they're coming from. It's easier for me to take that and translate musically rather than sort of sift through what might not be totally musically accurate, I suppose. (laughs) Uh, That's how the beginning process for me goes. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I would be a terrible client for you, Seth, because I feel like I, because it, because I have like a, a music background in like, you know, in the marching band. So let's, let's be clear about that. So, so my brain would be like, you know, oh, like I totally understand like vibrato and crescendo. So can you like just throw that in there? Cause that'd be great. Like, I think to your point, I think there's a humanity aspect you're bringing to this about like not trying to force a client to like learn everything that in the same exact way that you speak that language, right? If you hire a, a lawyer, you don't have to know lawyer terminology in order to work with them. There's there's something beautiful about the idea of us being translators. We talk about that a lot in our podcast, that it's all about us having the knowledge to be able to translate into what they are looking for and what that vision is. So yeah, you bring up a really good point there. Yeah. And I, I want to rope Stephen into the conversation too. So so you work with a lot of folks, specifically for for larger TV, film kind of things. Can you tell us a little bit about how that process starts? Where do they come to, like, what do they come to you with? Is it, is it, cause I, I can imagine when I would say I need audio in our pipeline, in our process, but how, I, I want to hear it from sort of your perspective. Well, we're lucky in that people come to us at any point in the process. You never know when somebody's going to decide that they need help. So that makes our lives interesting. Um, Sometimes people come to us in pre-production and we get to follow along from the time that there's really nothing but a Bible for the project. And it's great to be part of that process because we get to see the characters develop and change. We're part of the casting process. And we, we feel like we're really part of the the essence of the project. On the other hand, people will jump in midway and we've got to catch up to speed. They already have established ideas of what they're working on, what they need. Sometimes that's a good thing. Often that's a terrible thing. You know, if you <laughs> if you, you go in there and you already know how this actor sounds in your head, most of all based on having, I don't know, like a secretary at your office read it in placeholders mm-hmm. or you think you know what the music you want is when it's really just what you were listening to on the way to work. <laughs> and then right. we're navigating that sort of landscape. Often then we'll also come in at the end. Uh, we're lucky that sometimes production companies are nearing the close of a project and they're horrified with how it's going. The client doesn't have the budget. <laughs> that they need to uh, achieve the vision. So they'll come to us and be like, please, anything. Just like, how do we fix this? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think we've all been there in some way, for sure. At different stages. I think that's that's where the laughter is coming from, really, right? Because we we all, we can all 
<laughs> feel that. Yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about that because it seems to me that at least for us, when, when folks come to us, they're saying, and, and in terms of sound specifically, just pick something or just do this, or, you know, there's like this kind of throwaway kind of attitude towards sound in some cases. In other cases, they're very specific. They're very like, you know, it's, it feels like it's polarizing to find someone in the middle who's like, yeah, I can take it. Let's see what happens. That's really hard to find. I don't know if that's your, your guys' experience, but I, I kind of want to get to how do you deal with scratch audio, scratch tracks, things that are placeholders, things that are temporary. I know that it happens in trailers and in music and movies and sequences. Like there's a whole debate around, do, do we even do this? Because then whoever's been reviewing it for five, 10, 16 weeks has been listening to the same sound or the same voice or the same, you know, post effects for quite a while. And now they have to like totally change their experience with a different sound, a different person, a different tune. Mm. So can y'all talk about that a little bit? I don't know. Any one of you can chime in first, but scratch tracks and whether or not they're like a, a good thing for production or, or a bad thing. Or, or an unnecessary the- evil, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So, yeah, I suppose a lot of it is dependent on the uh, attitude of whoever the creative director is. If the scratch tracks are there and they sort of get embossed into the culture or the atmosphere of the project or whatever it is, then, you know, that can be a bit dangerous, <laughs> I suppose. Mm-hmm. Because I, I really don't like when music specifically is there and it doesn't really serve a purpose it doesn't really have a meaning you know i I like for especially on longer projects where you get maybe you know different scenes you get like an opening a development and a close to have like running themes that you develop to where the music is is going somewhere you know so scratch tracks are you know they're a hodgepodge of stuff that i think could be classified as a necessary evil because you need to you know, have an idea and they're good at getting that across like this should be this atmosphere you should feel this when you get to this point but i think as long as there's an understanding that it's got to change that you can i suppose trust who you've got in the audio position to to deliver that same feeling but then also take it a step further and craft something that fits that makes sense that has a purpose musically even if you know you you don't have to have a technical understanding of music to feel that things are right and meaningful you know take like any john williams score to (laughs) solidify that fact but um as long as there's an open awareness and agreement and trust between the audio and the creative director, then you can, you know, sort of feel your way through it and achieve something that fulfills the temp track, but surpasses it. Mm. That's my favorite yeah. story. That's a good point. Right. It's You're bringing up a good point that it feels like a scratch track, like if they're getting attached to it, it's from a, a position of safety almost. <laughs> because mm. to say we're going to change this is like, oh, change is scary. And that, like, what if it sounds totally different and it's no longer the right vibe? But to your point, Seth, it's like, no, this is we're going to take it to a whole nother level of elevation and deeper purpose and meaning. I think that's that's a really good way to think about it. And 
to phrase it to a client because otherwise they might not have seen it that way before. So that's really interesting. And to your point about the like the combination of needing the balance with the creative director that I'll jump to Steven there because I know you you might have some things to add about that. Well, I, I like Seth's response because it comes from this really beautiful, creative, pure place. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like more often than not, we're dealing with just the practicalities of timelines and budgets. I get where clients are coming from. Like early in my career, I was producing sessions where we would do the scratch tracks first for music. And then I would just be completely married to them. By the time mm -hmm. we roll around to doing the final tracks, I'm like, forget it. We're just using the scratch tracks. They're perfect. <laughs> and they'd be ridiculous tracks. And the engineers would get furious with me. So they came up with this plan to start miking things really badly <laughs> so that I would have yes. no choice but to re-record it. It didn't, it didn't work. Now we're just like getting these very colorful recordings that I'm refusing to change. I don't have an answer for how to get around that feeling except just trying to avoid giving people the opportunity. So in our experience, for example, you know, we get a batch of scripts in, like maybe we get 10 episodes for, for an animated, animated series. And we just have an actor quickly read through all of them, do funny voices, and then we deliver that to the animators so that they can get started with storyboarding and so forth. And the director's promise is always the same. We're just using it for timing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not true. Yep. <laughs> and then it rolls back to us and it's all lip synced to this person's half-hearted imitation of other characters. So suddenly we're in this position of having to ADR all these episodes. The actors are forced to use somebody else's emotions that are not really emotions. Mm -hmm. Our solution to that <laughs> was to get a person on my team who is the most embarrassed to be in front of a microphone. <laughs> and she would read it all. And she would read it slow and in a monotone. Mm. Mm. And I'd like to say that worked every time. It didn't. They still would <laughs> lip sync to this, right. but not, mm -hmm. not nearly as much. They, they clearly knew that we were trying to enforce some sort of order. That's totally fair. Finding that balance yeah. is definitely tricky, right? Because every client is is slightly different in some way there too. So yeah, I applaud you for, for making lots of different efforts there. Thank you. Thank you. Well, with, and with music, I do have different opinions generally. I love when people provide us with music references. It's my understanding that editors tend to work with music regardless. And when we jump into projects, it's whether it's just uh, like watching Wizard of Oz with Pink Floyd or not, you tend to notice a tempo in the animation. Mm -hmm. And once you find that tempo, just everything is a bit magical. It's easier, I think, when they actually have a tempo to work with. And also an idea of what they want that's clear. The problems arise when they leave us to be artists. <laughs> and now they're married to an idea, but we're supposed to be reading their mind to find out what that idea is. Mm -hmm. mm. And they don't want to tell us. 
I'm convinced that not not that I know anybody's motivations for anything, but I'm convinced that it's embarrassment, maybe embarrassment of the music that they're listening to, embarrassment of uh, them telling us what to do when we're supposed to be the experts, maybe embarrassment of changing their minds. But for better or worse, they're attached to what they've chosen. And I'd say 99% of the time, nothing else is going to make them happy. So I appreciate people being honest up front and letting us know what they what they really feel intuitively fits there. Because otherwise, I think that it's more likely that they're going to be unhappy with the end results, mm. even if even if the end results are perhaps objectively more in line with the original vision. I think something I'm I'm hearing from both what what you and Seth had in here is like there's some sort of level of like vulnerability that the client's going to be experiencing throughout this process and like especially if they haven't experienced that before through sound of of any kind it's a new feeling that we we don't really know how to talk about on like the day-to-day of giving and getting feedbacks and I have a feeling Michelle you might tap into this a little bit as well on that side of vulnerability because it's it's sort of it's really deep I think there's something there that I, I talked about it from the fear of change, but there's it, it's just being vulnerable through that process. Yeah. So just before we get to Michelle, I, I wanted to ask, Stephen, you said ADR, and I don't, I'm not sure everyone who would be listening to this would know what that means. Uh-huh. So could you just define that real quick? Yeah. Michelle, correct me when I get this wrong. Uh, <laughs> automatic, automatic dialogue replacement? Is that, is that it? I am not certain, but that sounds close. Uh, again, I don't do a ton of ADR or dubbing, so I'm not an expert in that, but that sounds close. You're, you're, don't quote me. You're very lucky. Internet. You're, but. you're very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle and I believe that ADR stands for automatic dialogue replacement. <laughs> and what that entails is, for instance, let's say uh, you're making a film and the characters are standing 50 feet away in the rain and you have a very poor recording of the audio of them saying their lines. Then you pull them into a studio. You put that on a loop. You bring the actors into the studio and you just have them repeat the lines, repeat the lines until they get it right. Mm -hmm. Now you have a clean recording. As you can imagine, this takes at least 10 times longer. I bet. Yes. That makes perfect sense. sense. Mm. Thank you. Michelle, let's get to you. you. Do you ever get a scratch track version of the script and then you have to re-record or they're are they guiding you in some way can you talk a little bit about that on the voiceover side for sure yeah we we do get scratch tracks from time to time because you know as steven alluded to you're working on a project and as you're going through the process you just have to have a placeholder before you get that final content which comes to a little bit of my thought in process as a voice actor very selfishly I would love to come into a project probably earlier in the process. That's not generally speaking how voice acting goes. We tend to be one of the final elements of a project. Maybe coming in earlier might allay some of (laughs) these issues that we've talked about here, but we definitely get scratch tracks. Sometimes they're fine, sometimes not. I think some of the problems that we encounter with scratch tracks is that depending on who recorded it, they may be a fast talker. And they may just go really quickly, but the actual emotion of that script 
does not call for a speedy read, which is a really energetic read. But now you've only got however much time that person left you to make that same emotional connection. Then you have to change potentially what that entire project sounds like based on the time that you have Mm. left. So it's not necessarily a criticism, but it doesn't leave as much room for the emotional interpretation that the voice actor is going to do versus just saying words to make sure that there is space for them once the project gets a little bit further along in the process. So that's been some of my experience with Scratch Tracks. Not a wholly negative experience. You know, sometimes it's just like, okay, you've got this amount of time and that totally works for me. And, you know, cool. Now I go forward. But there have definitely been times when I felt like, wow, I could have used more space here for making this sound the way that it connects to me. But Mm -hmm. yeah, again, that comes down to also whether or not the client has a really clear idea of what the moment is that they want their end listener to experience. Mm -hmm. If they don't have the most clear picture of what that emotional connection is going to be like, then they won't know to leave that kind of space or leave the potential for that kind of space for the voice actor to make that connection. Right. Can can yeah, I jump in real fast? I just I just want to clarify. When she's talking about emotions, if there's people listening who are just like, well, I do medical stuff. There's no emotions. There is emotions. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I do medical stuff and there are emotions in it. There's um there's <laughs> at least one emotion in anything, in any script that you do. There is a character <laughs> in every script and therefore there are emotions in every single script. Awesome. Well, let's let's go a little bit deeper into the feedback hole. And so I want everyone to sort of think of what the worst way a client can give you feedback on your work. What's like the worst thing? And I know Stephen, maybe you wait, I'll be I'll be the client. Hold on. So (laughs) (laughs) I can I can I can method act right now. So let's see. So if I go to something like with with Seth going back to my like I know crescendos thing. You know, perhaps if I'm the worst type of feedback, if I gave you like, hey, this this feels icky and I would like it to not feel icky. Can you do that? (laughs) Go. You have two days. You know, (laughs) uh, like, (laughs) honestly, I I would rather take this feels icky over, I I suppose, maybe micromanaging Mm. and trying to get to the end result of making it not icky. So I, th- I think <laughs> it all comes back to the trust, I think, between whoever's giving the feedback and, and, you know, who's working on the audio to be like, it feels icky. What can we do to, to make it? I, I like that, the example of icky, <laughs> to make it not feel icky, you know? So, and then to, to trust your audio person to, to one, either just understand it and be like, okay, let me come back at you or be like, Hey, what, when you, when you say icky, like, can you, further elucidate Mm -hmm. on what the heck you're talking about you know but i'm okay working with boundaries and they help a Mm -hmm. lot you know like we have to have it this way as long as this way that you're talking about means like it it has to hit a different like emotional Mm. point Mm. that's not the tone we're going for rather than telling me like you know the double bass note should be different here yeah like well i mean what am i here for then like you you can get a free you know (laughs) doll and just like write it out yourself right Mm. because if you're writing music like i I think that's what you hired me (laughs) for right so you know 
That makes perfect sense. Awesome. I was going to say, Seth, I really like what you said about boundaries. I have a somewhat similar feeling about the types of projects that I do, as I was just talking about working with clients who don't either know or don't give you like a somewhat clear idea of where they're headed or where they want to go. Having those boundaries is really, really valuable because I can obviously create that moment, you know, for myself, I'll just read the script, find the story that identifies with me within that script and then bring it to life. But then if that's not what you had in your head, but you didn't let me know what you had in your head, then we will spend a lot more time going back and forth Mm -hmm. about what the end product should actually be. Whereas if you give me a much clearer idea of what those goalposts are, then we'll get there a lot faster with a lot less headache. I cannot tell you how many projects I see online where there is absolutely no direction whatsoever for the voice actor. Cool, now I get to do whatever I want. But, (laughs) you know, maybe none of the things that they get are what they're looking for. So having at least a pathway, some boundaries makes the project go a lot more smoothly and happier for everybody. In terms of ways in which I don't like to receive feedback, I think to what I just said, more than feedback, I, I love that upfront guidance. That's really useful. But what I don't love is adjectives that don't have much meaning. Uh, (laughs) I'll give you an example. I had a live directed session one time. And for anybody listening who doesn't know what a live directed session is, it's basically when the voice actor is in their booth or in a studio and members of the production company and maybe the actual end clients are listening in on that session and providing live in the moment feedback, direction, et cetera, so that they get exactly what they want by the end of the session, rather than there having to be a lot of back and forth over email or by phone. So I was in a live directed session and there were actually a lot of people in that session. Usually you're in a session with like three people or two. That one had nine. That was a Mm. lot. That Um, is a lot. Oh my goodness. (laughs) It was a lot. (laughs) Each person, you know, they were reflecting to each other. How was that? You know, blah, blah, blah. And then you know, we worked through a few sets where they were like, okay, we really like this direction. We want another direction. Okay, cool. That's great. Then they started just kind of like throwing things out there. Mm-hmm. Like, can you sound more thoughtful in this next read? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and thoughtful doesn't really have a sound. Mm-hmm. I could get there if you said inquisitive or curious or something where there's like an actual sound reflection there, but thoughtful is quite subjective to me at any rate. So now I'm sitting there and I'm like, thoughtful. Yeah. Thoughtful. Okay. Let (laughs) me be thoughtful about how to sound thoughtful. Um, So just things like that. If you could be really critical with yourself about what you're asking a voice actor or an artist of any kind to actually, you know, reflect back to you, then that would be super useful because there are some things that just don't have much meaning and, and, you know, you'll get whatever that voice actor is able to come back to you with in that moment. In our podcast too, we, I think Will's talked about this idea specifically of like action oriented words or like action oriented language that makes a clear distinction about like, this is how you can take action on the type of feedback that we're giving you that has 
a clear mutual understanding because I to your point if you're there's so many words that are just so subjective and I think we we did a I, we did one in our last episode I think where we had like I had Will repeat a sentence but I said make it feel like light and airy and you're like okay well what is what does that actually mean like it's it's so open to interpretation so yeah having clear descriptive language that's action oriented is definitely really helpful so that's a great point yeah steven i feel like you deal with this a lot i don't know if there's specific types of feedback that you guys get that you wish you wouldn't get and what would be a, a better version of the feedback maybe yeah so <laughs> let me preface this by saying i, I took some notes on the subject of <laughs> oh, feedback awesome. La- yeah, like go for it the past few yeah. days because because I, I saw this is the subject of our conversation in my notes uh i wrote i'm serious i wrote and you're really in trouble the moment someone says i used to play in marching band <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> oh i'm so glad i could be here to be the worst client that you have to deal with <laughs> <laughs> I'm here, you know, I accept it. I've I've come to terms with it. I've, you know, I've gone to lots of therapy over this. We've, you know, I, mm. I really That's awesome. That's perfect. Yes, and, apo- and apologies to any any of our listeners who are band people. Um, I I was No, no. We're too. we're great. <laughs> yes. Um. <laughs> we're great, but we make terrible clients when it comes to feedback on sound. I got it. Well, the the sec the second there half of that sentence is more or less what you said, mm-hmm. which is because then you get super specific feedback that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I have a an example of this which has happened so many times. I mean, this this happens regularly. Mm. The the client will say, speed up the music. That's easy, mm. right? We all know what that means, mm-hmm. but that's not what it means to the client ever. What it means to us as musicians is increase the tempo. That means you have a track that's like, and then you increase the tempo. Okay, great. Now it's out of sync with the picture. You come up with an awkward ending because the math doesn't work anymore and the client hates it. Because <laughs> it turns out they don't yep. actually want an increase in the tempo. What they want is more drums. They want subdivisions. If you just mm. threw a bongo track on top of the original, mm. then they're happy mm. because what they imagine as faster is there you go. Now it's faster drums in some sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, mm. So what I kept coming back to is that everyone needs to go to therapy. Because <laughs> <laughs> yes, as as they say, how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm. And I once had a day job, and it was in like corporate consulting, mm. and I you know turned some you know nothing piece of work in to my manager who nobody he didn't manage anybody but me and he came down and he lectured me he's like i am your client you need to present this to me as if i'm the person making decisions mm. and that's when i realized that's exactly the same thing that we're dealing with here if i was working with uh, you will and catherine you would be my client, but you're answering to somebody else. Right. And they're answering to like 10 more people. Mm-hmm. And it just goes and goes and goes. And now everybody is dealing with these 
unaddressed power dynamics from their childhoods <laughs> where nobody knows really how to communicate you get defensive when you receive feedback. Mm -hmm. Your clients are receiving feedback from the people above them. And it's a really emotional uh, experience for everyone and a lot of room for misunderstanding. So everyone's role when you're in the, I don't know, what, what's the opposite of the client? What What is it, my the role? Creative. Mm -hmm. The creative. The creative's role, I think, is to be curious. Mm -hmm. And uh, not defensive, but most of all curious. Yeah. yeah. And the client's role is to engage with the creative in a somewhat vulnerable, as you mentioned, and also open-hearted mm. way. Because we are all working toward the same goal. And that's so easy to say. I mean, all, all of us have said it. We need to be opening up communication. Everyone knows it. But what that means when you're in the moment is quite scary, actually. Yeah, that's totally fair. So, I mean, I, I'm not giving you anything to work with here, though. <laughs> no, uh, no, no this is perfect. It's... Yeah, no, this gives us a lot to go yeah. off of. I do have one last question. It's kind of a curveball. But AI is a really big thing that is happening to a lot of creative jobs. And I just want to get a sense of where have you seen it and and your just your thoughts on it quickly. I know we're sort of running out of time here, but maybe Stephen, why don't we start with you? Do you feel like, where have you seen AI popping up and, and how has it affected you, if, if anything, or what are your thoughts? It took me a while to realize that this guy who was getting all the VO jobs on Instagram was actually AI. Mm. I was like, what a great voice. I wonder how everyone's <laughs> affording him. <laughs> yes. I realized a long time ago, I, I started in the music end of this, I realized that I'm not competing with other composers so much. I'm competing with music libraries. Mm. People have $5 budgets, and that's, that's the problem. And AI just adds this whole other layer to, to the landscape. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I fear for, for instance, explainers medical narration, technical narration, people doing a series of 500 videos. Music, I'm not too fearful of yet, but even yesterday I got an email from one of the AI music companies saying, yeah, now you can give us the chord progressions that you want. Mm. And you know, every three months or so, I'm hearing something that I'm shocked has improved so much from the last time I heard something. Mm -hmm. I think it's a matter of time and that we all are going to have to learn to live with what that looks like. And we can argue all day about what we bring to the table. I think what Michelle's talking about in terms of emotion, I hope that AI can't replace that. And that's for the moment mm -hmm. what we have to hang on to is our ability to be emotional and to be curious. AI at the moment doesn't seem to ask the questions or to read the nuances and uh, your language, the things that you're not saying. Mm -hmm. And that's what gives us the edge. Yeah. yeah. I know you, you touched on it already, Michelle, about, about that emotional piece, but yeah, where, where do you kind of sit with it too? Yeah. AI is all over the place. I, uh, I'm also a vocal coach as well as being a voice actor. And one of my fellow coaches at the voice acting Institute, he 
had his voice stolen. Mm. And so it's on every voice actor's mind. I think a lot of us are taking a lot more care with the contracts that we're signing with Mm. clients to make sure that we are covered and that the clients we work with are not looking to use our voices or turn our voices into AI products that they can use going forward. So there's a lot of that. And then to your point, Catherine, it's about what we bring that at least for the moment, AI does not, which is we are able to create really powerful emotional connections at the drop of a dime because feeling emotions is what humans do. It's not what computers do. So Mm -hmm. we bring that to the table and as much as possible, we just try to make sure that the clients that we work with really value what we bring to the table over a computer. But to Stephen's point, you know, there is work that is very likely to go away, you know, IVR, which is phone systems, you know, anytime you mm. call a company and it walks you through right. the system, that is, that's a, got a high likelihood for being AI in the very near future, if it, if not already. Mm. And then explainers and things like that, where, you know, people feel like, like medical narration, there's no emotion in this. So who cares if, you know, it's a computer or if a person does it. But think Mm -hmm. about that person on the other end who has to listen to that. If you're going through a training that is computerized and it's a five-hour training, like the experience of listening to a computer versus listening to a voice actor will be completely different. The uptake of that information will be completely different. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I would just extol people to think about what that end listener's experience is going to be and what you want their experience to be. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective, but that makes perfect sense, especially like we've done coursework in the past and it's like anytime it's a long course, it's almost like we have to approach it more from a storytelling aspect because if it's just this like really long, dry content, it is it's really hard to pay attention to. So you have to create a new level of engagement with it. So yeah. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, I'd love to see yeah. maybe some some numbers and some some data on it because I I would imagine you get lower engagement rates on mm-hmm. any kind of media, but you know. Yeah, it's worth doing. I can some think of like o- like sure. audio books, right? Mm. Like audio books mm-hmm. could be a, a space where that that type of research could actually happen. Oh, yeah. and audio books yeah. are like it can make or break a good book, like mm-hmm. depending on how the audio is read, a hundred percent. So that that yeah. makes that's a lot of sense. the truth. I mean, I think as as a voice actor, I think we're still lucky that we're in a in the phase right now where, by and large, people can still, you know, get to that point, that uncanny valley, what they call uncanny valley, where at some point your brain is like, that's not a real voice. And so we're still somewhat in that phase, but mm-hmm. much, much, much more rapidly than a lot of us would have thought we're getting to a place where it's like, wow, that that was actually not bad at all. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And what about what about you, Seth? Where do you see it in sort of the composing world? I would just say, you know, in general, you know, out here, there there have been so many strikes, right? And across, you know, U.S., uh, but fighting this very thing for contracts, for unions. You know, I wonder why shouldn't AI, you know, especially at this stage, be applied more to like business decisions rather than creative decisions? Like, I feel like Mm-hmm. It might be more properly applied in that sort of zero one language <laughs> rather than <laughs> the creative side. But, you know, I think 
you know, things that will change, but we've got the nervous systems, there's electronic circuits that we're up against. But I think the imperfections that are inherent to us sort of, at least for now, delineate us from, you know, circuits. Yeah. So I think I <laughs> would love to see that continue, all the beautiful imperfections of what it means to be a person in general and a creative, you know, in specific for those things to be sort of celebrated and embraced. I, I think they will be. But um, mm -hmm. I know, you know, AI will have its place. I just sort of wonder if it shouldn't be more applicable to maybe less creative decisions. Yeah. So You bring up a good point. It reminds me of something I, I heard a, a writer say once that was talking about how just how interesting it is that like we work in such a creative, open, expressive kind of field, which is limited to the business side of things, the production, time management, budget. Like there's all these constraints that are being pushed on what is inherently such a creative and open and non-time bound field. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's just kind of the confines that we that we live within right now. So I to your, I, I feel you on that front of like, I, I would also like to see it be utilized for things that, that can be purposeful for a, a business or something to grow because it's, it's part of that nature. But part of our nature is this sort of expressive side that I, I agree. I don't think you're going to get from your, your standard ones and zeros. Maybe, maybe a little more zeros one day, but not, not in the <laughs> same way. <laughs> There's this uh, beautiful book called Future Hit DNA. Uh, it's from like a de decade ago by, I think, the, the head of Yahoo Music at the time. Mm -hmm. And the premise of it is that technology dictates creativity, essentially. Mm. And he goes through history, the history of music, and shows how that applies in ways that we have no, I we, we have no idea. Like, why is songs two minutes long? Because that's what fit on a piano roll. We're, we're accustomed to decisions that were made based on technical limitations of the past. And every era, people think the same thing. This is the downfall of creativity. Now, you know, now there's recorded music, live musicians won't have jobs anymore. Once people didn't have to just get into a room and play with each other, suddenly they didn't have to know how to play with each other. Mm -hmm. And now they don't even have to know how to be on time. We already have the technology to just you know, click one button and everything is synced up. We don't get accidents anymore. Mm. And this is, this is not a sudden movement away from creativity. It's just the next stage in what we've already been mm. uh, working with. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Yeah. So I, I it's do It's a good think, point to end um, on. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I want to be mindful of time here. So um, where can people learn a little bit more about you in the interest of building trust and, you know, doing things that are not AI and more creative? How can people find you so that they can work with you and build some really great sounds together? I'm going to start with you, Seth. So I need to update it, but I have a website. It's called SethBowser.com. Check out The Great Age of Sale, which is... Mm -hmm one of the musicals that I'm working on. Compassion Street is the other one out in the Delaware area. 
uh, I'll uh, respond <laughs> to any inquiries. <laughs> Excellent. To, yeah, thank you. Thank you for asking. Yeah, what about you, Michelle? Sure, you can find me at my website, which is Michelle Benton B-O. That's Michelle with two L's and B-E-T-T-O-N-B-O.com. And you can also find me on Instagram or Twitter, now X, or Facebook <laughs> at mbettonvo or on LinkedIn as Michelle Betton. Awesome. And Stephen. You can find my company, Stereo Couture, at stereocouture.com. You're, you're all making it really straightforward to reach out. That's great. <laughs> yeah, and we'll put some of those in the links and descriptions and stuff like that. So yeah, awesome. well, thank well, yeah, you. Thank yeah. you so much for being on the podcast. We really, really appreciate it. It was fantastic and lovely yeah. conversation. And we um, learned a lot yeah. throughout we it, did. and I think our yeah. our audience is going to learn a lot from it. So we really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you all so much. Yeah. Thank you, Will and Catherine. All right. Awesome. This episode was brought to you by E-Media. Our producer is Jackson Foote. Our music was created by Hidden and licensed through premiumbeat.com. And until next time, stay honest, stay creative, stay open. Open Pixel Studios, we will see you in the next episode. Bye. During the pandemic, yeah. we watched a lot of TV, but we watched traveling TV because we needed to see other people travel and live vicariously yeah. through them. And we came across, I, I had never seen it, The Amazing Race. Yeah, the TV show, The Amazing Race. It's a bunch of teams, teams of two normally. They go out and they- Race around the world. They race around the world, hopping from one country to another. They learn a little bit about the culture. Typically, they're doing challenges bit. throughout these mm -hmm. throughout these jumps. And um, each leg of the race, usually you get a winner and a loser, and the last person to finish the race is usually kicked off. It's a fantastic show. And I, I thought I wasn't really going to like it, and, and we binged it almost <laughs> religiously throughout the pandemic. Correct, correct. And so now, well, we, we had talked about making some TikToks that were amazing race, but at home. So like- you know, teams would have to fold laundry within a certain amount of time. And like, <laughs> they would do all these, all these yeah. ridiculous challenges. Yeah. And then we took it a step further and we're like, what if there was a form of entertainment to take the amazing race somewhere else? What if it was a musical? How do you, how do you feel? Just yeah. thoughts. I, I like the idea of your amazing race at home. And mm. that immediately I was thinking like, what other things could you do? And I thought, well, you don't want to race washing your hands. You need to spend 20 seconds doing that. Mm. Yes. So what if musical where everyone's yes. compulsively washing their hands for 20 seconds, but they have to sing a song <laughs> for 20 seconds each time. Mm. And this is where Seth comes That's in. That's good. There's actually nothing that gives me more pleasure than like making up what I think a person you know has going through their mind in a moment. So I will happily... <laughs> Be that person. Yes. Tell me when I'm and clear. where. I mean that that's that sounds great. Both of the musicals I'm working on currently were born out of the. Uh, oh, geez, you know, I was gonna I was gonna say the Great Depression. That that's a different era. No, um, but it's kind of the <laughs> same, right? Uh... Out of out of the pandemic. It's yeah. right both there. The, <laughs> it's a one to one. Them, yeah, yeah. Basically, um, yeah. Both of them were born out of the pandemic. Lots of creative stuff happening. So yeah, just, just tell me yeah. what you need. Tell me which parts need to be icky. We'll, we'll score it.
<laughs> there it is. I'm glad we could make this happen. We look forward to calling all of you when we get this idea off the floor. <laughs> awesome.